Good morning. It truly is good to be together this morning. I have a, this morning a, a very simple message, but I believe a very, very important message. I think I've, uh, I've alluded to this topic different times in some recent messages I may have preached here, and uh, maybe I can lay it to rest this morning as, as I address this. But the title of the message this morning is The Church's Vision. The church's vision, and we, the ecclesia, the call out, we are the church, and I want, to, want us to think this morning about the vision that we have, and I believe it's, it is of utmost importance if we're going to live a victorious Christian life. An often quoted verse from Proverbs is, and I'm just going to uh, quote the first part of it, and I want somebody to finish the verse for me, where there is no vision, the people perish. We've heard that, we, we hear that verse a lot. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But that's the first part. What's the rest of the verse? Turn to Proverbs 29.18. Proverbs 29.18. I just like to reflect a little bit on, on this verse as an introduction to the message. The church's vision. Proverbs 29.18. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So notice the beginning of the verse, the, the, how it, it's uh, presented to us in a negative sense. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I believe we live in a world full of people that do not have a personal relationship with Christ. They have no vision. They are a perishing people. And it's very sad when you, when you think of it. But the, the, op, the, the flip side of that is that, and this verse simply alludes to the fact that where there is a vision, God's people are not perishing. But then the latter part of the verse says, He that keepeth the law, happy is he. And the word keepeth is the Hebrew word is the word shomar, and it's a primitive root word which, which means to hedge about with thorns to guard, to protect. And so it, the verse is simply stating that that people who keep the precepts of God are happy. And it also implies that these are the people that have vision. So they go hand in hand keeping the precepts of God and guarding them. When I, when I read this verse, I think of uh, the times that I, that I visited Nicaragua and uh, many of the, the compounds down there or the homes to protect themselves from intruders have, they're walled and then they, sometimes there's barbed wire on top of the walls, or sometimes they would pour glass, broken glass bottles into the concrete so people wouldn't be tempted to, to climb over the walls. The people were hedging about their homes to protect themselves. And in the same sense, the, the Word of God is asking us to hedge about our lives and to protect the Word of God, to be protective of it. The Word of God is constantly being undermined and attacked. 
in, in the world in which we live. And it's important that we protect the Word of God, that we protect ourselves, and that we live out the Word of God. And I believe that there's, especially in our circles, and including myself, we've, we do a lot of teaching on the importance of the Word of God and how we need to study it, we need to live it, we need to believe it, we need to practice it. And so that's, we, we spend a lot of time there. But I wonder if we shouldn't also spend more time on the vision. What is our vision? What is the church's vision? I, a vision is, one of the reasons that a vision is so important uh, is it is a vision is something that we focus on sometimes you hear the phrase the light at the end of the tunnel uh, for Nate going into these treatments and going through this nearly a year like like Janessa did uh, we, we use the term we you got to live day by day you got to take it sometimes minute by minute a person that's going through a tough time and that's true but how helpful it is to focus on the light at the end of the tunnel to focus on the completion of the, of the time spent in the hospital and, and the time recovering and all that. And so for the church, it's so important. Yes, we live day by day, and we, we must be faithful hour to hour. We're, we serve the Lord. We serve him faithfully. But it is very important that we're a people that are focused on what's really important. And that's what we want to think about this morning. I'm sure that uh, you all have noticed that we live in a really messy and dangerous world. It's really, uh, really messy and dangerous. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, just thinking of some, just some happenings this year, uh, back in January, Sasha Krause from Farmington, New Mexico, working at Lamp and Light, Sunday school teacher, uh, abducted and murdered. Uh, more recently in June, uh, Linda Stalsfus in where? Burdenhan, Lancaster County, abducted and still searching for her, uh, arrested somebody who they, who they uh, are fairly certain did the abduction. Uh, this year also peaceful protests that have turned into riots, looting, destruction, fires, all over the country in various cities, some pretty close to home. And the response from many uh, corners has, has been, well, defund the police. Uh, that, that'll be the answer. That'll solve this. We've got to defund the police. And there's just been so much corruption just this week. Uh, an FBI, or last week, an FBI agent admitted to falsifying emails back in uh, uh, to spy on Carter Page and all that, and the FBI, something that, that would, seem, it would seem like things like this would happen in a third world country rather than in the United States, but it's happening here. And just the, the last four years, uh, I'll describe it this way, great political upheaval, I've never seen the likes. It has been, uh, the last four years, just the political upheaval has been tremendous. Uh, our president is far from perfect and, and has made lots of mistakes and will probably make more, but I have never ever seen somebody being attacked and, and just unrelentlessly 
Uh, they, they don't give him a minute to breathe easily. They just go after him uh, and go after him and go after him. And it, it's, it's uh, very unpleasant to just simply to watch it. Corruption, lies, childlike behavior from our elected officials through, through all this uh, political upheaval is just horrifying to see the, the lies and the misinformation that, that's being spread. And, and it's just from very... Uh, high up people in, in the government. And now more recently, uh, we're going through the, the pandemic and along with that is, is this, this degree of panic. Do you see the panic? So many people, it's, it's like there's just a, a panic oh, and it's not just the United States, it's worldwide. There's just a real panic that goes with the pandemic. And it is, it is real and, and there's no, no question about that. People, uh, people have and, and are dying from it, and I don't want to minimize it, but it's just to watch the, the worldwide panic. And then also, in the world in which we live, it gets, it's, some of these things get really close to home. It's, it would be, I can't stand here this morning and say, that's out, that's out there in the world, and we, the church. Well, actually, there, there's, some, there's some real connections like with, with Sasha Krauss, uh, the, the man that abducted her grew up in a Mennonite home. Uh, in the case of Linda Stolzfus, uh, the man that's been accused of abducting her is supposedly her third and a half cousin. There's a connection there uh, to, to Anabaptism. Just uh, last month, I believe it was, a local tax accountant went to prison for 10 years, guilty of defrauding many people in our communities of some $59 million, sent to prison for 10 years and told to repay $59 million. And it's like, and that's, not, that's somebody close to home. That's somebody many of us knew and know. And it's like these, these things are happening in the world in which we live. Is the world dangerous and messy? Yes. And I just scratched the surface one of the other things we could think about is how many of us have loved ones in our families or extended families that have strayed away from the truth of the gospel and it's very painful and it hurts. It's very, uh, very sad. Two questions I have this morning. Why is this happening? Question number one. And question number two is, is this something new? Why is it happening? Is this something new? First question, why is it happening? Because fallen mankind lives on earth. Because fallen mankind lives on earth. That's why it's happening. Second question, is it something new? No, absolutely not. In the very first family, Cain out in the field and murdered his brother Abel. It gives us a picture of the awfulness of the state of sinful mankind. The state of sinful mankind is awful. We can ask another question. Is it intensifying? Oh yes, I believe it is. Few, let's turn to 2 Timothy 2 Timothy and chapter 3 for some more very familiar verses. 
Is it intensifying? 2 Timothy in chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now let's go to Matthew and Matthew chapter 24, which talks about the future, talks about the end, and I won't read the whole chapter here, but just some verses to get us to thinking. We're in Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the name, the same shall be saved. I want us to think briefly about verse 12. Verse 12, you meditate on this verse. The verse says, and because iniquity shall abound, and we acknowledge that's happening today. I believe it's, it's, it's on the increase. There's so much of it. It says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. How do you, how do you explain that verse when I, I read that verse, it gives me the, the impression that because of the, how rampant wickedness is and, and the iniquity around us, that some Christians will despair and say, there's no hope. What, where's, where's the hope in all of this? Things are just getting worse and worse, and they simply uh, give up in despair. And that's what I want to address this morning. The church's vision. We need to be, if we don't stay focused on the vision, we are in danger of despairing and saying, what's, what's, it, what's it worth? Just give it up. Uh, lay it aside. Uh, the love of many shall grow cold, it says. And then in verse 13, it says, but he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And so it is of the utmost importance that we don't despair. When we look into the world today and we see what's happening, that we don't grow discouraged and despair and simply give up. And the remedy for that is to stay focused and to, to have our eyes set on the church's vision. Our group on Wednesday night, 
I, I hope that each group had as much uh, joy as we did uh, singing for Elizabeth and Lois Whitmer. And uh, Sister Elizabeth, does she have vision? She's 101 years old. You think, ask the question, does Sister Elizabeth have vision? I said, Sister Elizabeth, what's your favorite song? What would you like us to sing? And her response was, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. That's vision. That is truly vision. I'd like us to think now, before we go to our text this morning, I'd like us to think about the Apostle John. The Apostle John lived in very exciting historic times. He was the one that was... Uh, the closest to the Lord Jesus, had a special relationship with Jesus, and uh, they were uh, very, very good friends. He left his fishing to be a disciple of Jesus. He was present at many of Jesus' healings and miracles. He was spent those years serving with Jesus. But during that time, it was also, there was great tension between good and evil, and it was a time of great political unrest that John lived through. His dearest friend, who John was convinced was God in the flesh, and he truly was, was crucified, and John stood there by Calvary and watched the crucifixion of God, and he, he, he witnessed that. He was also there for uh, the ascension of Jesus. He was there in the day of Pentecost or the birth of the church. He saw that. And then John witnessed the, uh, firsthand the persecution of the early church. And so this, this uh, tension between good and evil and this, per this great persecution John was just seeing it all firsthand. We can uh, also assume that John was, was very aware of, of the martyrdom of most of the other disciples, if not all of them, before he was called, before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. So John knows, he, uh, he saw the crucifixion of Jesus, Knows the other disciples are martyred for the sake of the gospel. They're out doing good. They're preaching the gospel. They're sharing the gospel to the world. And they're martyred. They, many of them suffered immensely. John himself is now exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which is a small rocky island off the southwest coast of what is, we now know as modern-day Turkey. Patmos was an island that was used by the Romans to, where they banished prisoners, where they forced them to work in the mines and the quarries. So we don't know for certain, but most likely John was forced, forced labor working in the mines and the quarries there on Patmos. John truly lived in messy times. If you think now we live in dangerous and messy times, which we do, but, but you look back, and I asked the question earlier, is this something new? No. 
what John experienced in so many ways was so much worse than what you and I, which one of us uh, uh, was, has faced personal persecution, have been exiled someplace to work in the quarries, and a, and a dozen of our closest friends have been put to death. That's what John was living under. It's what he experienced. Now let's go to the book of Revelation, to chapter 21. Second to last chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. In uh, the, the revelation that, that John received here from the Lord, and we just want to focus this morning, we're in Revelation 21, we want to focus on the first eight verses, and particularly verse 5. And this is the revelation, this is what John experienced on the Isle of Patmos. He says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I want to stop there because I believe that is the church's vision. I believe for those of us who that are, are redeemed this morning, this is the vision that we need to have and we need to, we need to stay focused on and it will take us through the toughest of times. God himself sitting on the throne saying, behold, I make how many things? All things new. This sin-cursed, there is no hope for this sin-cursed world apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And God himself proclaims here, I am making all things new. Heaven and earth. Redeemed mankind, new. Do you know that you and I today that have experienced the new birth, how wonderful it is. God's spirit lives within us, but we still live in a fallen body and we are prone to sin. Do you find it that way? We are prone to sin, though we are redeemed. But there's a day coming when that will no longer be true. We will not be prone to sin anymore because God is making all things new. We're not remodeling. We're not we're just we're just starting over. He's making all things new. And that is so exciting. Let me continue. We're in verse five and, and the middle of the verse. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. 
I am, a, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Chapter 21 in Revelation and the first five verses of 22 relate to the scenes beyond the judgment and picture the happy and triumphant state of the redeemed church. All its conflicts have ceased and its enemies have been destroyed. That glorious time is shown here in, in the verses that I read under the image of a beautiful city descending from heaven. It's a city that is described as having beautiful walls and gates, a city that has no temple because the very city is a temple. It needs no light, for God is its light. A city unto which nothing impure ever enters. A city that is filled with trees and streams and fountains and fruits and is truly paradise. The first heaven and the first earth are passed away at the judgment to be followed by a new heaven and an earth fitted to be the home of the blessed. It talks in the verses I read about all tears being wiped away. No more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. This will be the condition of the redeemed in the future world. And it's important that, that you and I stay focused on that. In this world, we will experience the loved ones passing away. We will experience pain. We will experience suffering. We will experience upheavals, we will experience persecution, the list goes on and on and on, but there's a day coming where it will be no more. Behold, I make all things new. If you underline in your Bible, you need to underline the word all. God gave up on flesh that is so prone to sin back in the Garden of Eden. He gave up on it. And he's going to make all things new. Not only heaven and earth, but the redeemed as well. The latter part of verse 5, he emphasizes, Right, for these words are true and faithful. Yes, it's true. In verse 6, it will be given. It says, in verse 6, And he said unto them, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him, that is a thirst, of the fountain of the water of life freely. And so here it describes a group of people that are thirsting and longing for God, people that want to know him more, people that want to know him better, and the gift of salvation is given to those people. In verse, uh, in verse 8, it is, there's a contrast between verse 8 and verse 7. 
In verse 7, it talks about the people that overcome. They're going to inherit, and if you write in your Bible, underline the word all here again. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Not a few things. Not something here and something there. But will inherit all things. And will realize the bliss of this vision that John had. But in verse 8, a very sad verse. The contrast is in this verse we have the characteristics of people who will not see this vision fulfilled but will be damned to eternity without God. And it just lists their, their characteristics here. It says, first of all, they are a fearful people. And the word fearful simply means dread or timid. People that do not pursue a relationship with God, but they, they, they just are a very dreadful people. And the second word that is used to describe them is unbelieving. And the word simply means faithless. They do not trust in God's goodness. They are not willing to surrender to, the, the rightful, to give God the rightful place in their life. They are unbelieving. They are without faith. The next word that is, describes their char another characteristic is they are abominable, which means to be disgusting. And if you look around in the world today, we don't have to look very far until so much of what we see is truly disgusting. We see so much disgusting behavior. And then he talks about murderers, which simply means it to, intentional destroy, to intentionally destroy another person. And we see that so much today. People just intentionally destroying the character of another person. Talks about whoremongers. The word whoremongers, the, the Greek word, is the word uh, pornos. Need I say more? Uh, it, it includes adultery and fornication, pornography, that type of thing. And then last, or he talks then about sorcerers, which is witchcraft and all its practices. These are the people which will not inherit. And then he, he addresses idolaters. Anything that takes the place that God demands in our life. And this is, is very important. It has always been important. It's important for me and it's important for you. That there is nothing comes between me and my relationship with God. Nothing. To do that is to set up an idol and to be worshiping an idol. And it is, it is uh, horrible. And we shall not do it. And many times idols in our own life are, are difficult for us to detect. But sometimes those that love us and those who are close to us can uh, ask, ask, a, ask a friend you trust sometime. Do you see, do I have any idols in my life? Is there anything? Be honest with me. Do you see any, am I, is there any idolatry in my life? And I believe they'll be honest with you. And I believe that's something that would be good for all of us to do. And lastly, he talks about liars. And we see so much of this today, too. We know that as humans, each one of us is prone to this. It's simply something that is untrue. And today, in, in the world in which we live, it's so, uh, it's so amazing all the lies that come out of, uh, come out of uh, the, the political realm 
And it's like, how can this be? And they say, oh, they have immunity in Congress. They can say what they want. They have immunity there. They can't be prosecuted for that. But if a person's under oath, you can go to jail if you say a lie. It's like, I look at that. It's like, what? What is this? God's standard is so simple. He holds us to a really easy standard, and that is honesty at all times. And that's God's standard. It doesn't matter where we are at, who we're with, that we're honest at all times. So here, this huge list in verse 8, this huge list of things and of the characteristics of people that, that cannot go to heaven, that will not realize this beautiful vision that John had and that we, we as a church have of, of what the future is holding. But you go back to verse 7 and to the redeemed, for I trust you and I this morning, this is what applies to us. The verse says, it's, it's a very simple verse. It simply says, he that overcometh. We have, those of us who have been born again, we have the Holy Spirit living within us to guide us, to direct us, to lead us into all truth. And as we avail ourselves to the leading and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, he helps us to overcome all things. And as we do that, we don't even get close. We shouldn't get close to all these horrible things listed in verse 8. And so the question for myself and for each one of us this morning is, which, which uh, verse here, which one do, do I fall into? Which one best describes my life? Which one best describes your life? Are you this morning being an overcomer? Or do you somehow fit under some of these things that are described in verse 8? If so, I plead with you to either renew or develop a relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can be an overcomer so that you can inherit all things. The word overcome in verse 7 means to subdue, to prevail, to get the victory. The church's vision. Verse 5, God says, Behold, I make all things new. Verse 7, he that overcometh shall inherit all those things. I add the word those to it. How important it is, it, how important is it for us to be overcomers? It is all important. And if you and I are going to overcome, one of the main ingredients to us overcoming is going to be that we stay focused on the future, that we have a vision, that we know there is a day coming when all this, that when God will take care of all this evil and messiness that we are now surrounded with, and even our own fallen nature, which is prone to sin, he'll take care of that too. Everything is going to be taken care of, and there's going to be this blissful city to live in where there's no more tears there's no more death there's no more dying there's no more sorrow 
because it has all passed away. But between now and then, it is very, very important that we stay focused and that we continue to nurture our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and that we have our hearts set on being an overcomer because those are the people that are going to realize this bliss that John saw here in this, in this revelation. Jesus is the answer. I can only imagine, as, as John was receiving this revelation, I don't know, I think you see pictures some places, but John is like uh, lying on the ground and maybe has a, a hand outstretched towards heaven, but he's, as he's taken, taking all of this in, how incredible. And you think of what John was going through right then and right there. And John said, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. One day, all these wrongs will be righted. One day, there, everything's going to be brand new. And I'm going to be a part of that. And that is, that's the word that I have for us as the church this morning. That, that we don't grow discouraged by the times that we're living in. But that we stay focused on the future, because as we do that, we will, along with John and all other believers from down through the ages, we will get to be part of that group of people that realize this beautiful vision, this beautiful revelation that John had from God. It's, as we say sometimes, it's poured in concrete. It's, it's there, it's, it's sturdy, it's not going anywhere. But it's important that we live lives, a life of an overcomer. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. And let's stay focused on the truth and on the fact that God is making all things new. All things new. And we can be part of that. As his, as his sons and as his daughters, we have the right to inherit all of that, as it says in verse 7. And what a, what a, what a blessing that will be. And, and it's something that is, uh, talk about something to look forward to. Sometimes we look forward to a, a week-long vacation or something like that. This is, this is what I believe God intends for his children to be our focal point and to keep us motivated through life in doing what's important, and that is sharing the gospel. There's no other hope apart from Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. This world is messy and it will not get better, it'll get worse. But for the believer, there is this hope which no one can take away from us, and it's more than a hope. It is, it is. For sure, it's there, it will happen. And let's be, let's be certain that we are part of it when it happens. And you look at those verses there, we should know very easily which verse best describes us. And I trust this morning that we are all overcomers. If we're not overcomers, let's become an overcomer because it will be worth it all.
God said, Behold, I make all things new. And I want to be there to see that. I want to be there to be part of that. And I trust you do too. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the Apostle John. Thank you for the revelation that you gave to him. And Lord, what a beautiful vision of this bride, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, adorned to, to, uh, to meet uh, the bridegroom. And I just, oh Lord, we look forward to, to that day. Lord, help each one of us to, be, to truly be an overcomer. And to have this, uh, this vision just firm in our minds and in our hearts as we live each and every day for you. Help us to be faithful in sharing the gospel and letting you radiate through our very lives. Bless each one of my brothers and sisters here. And if there's somebody here who does not know you as, your, as their Lord and Savior, I just ask, oh God, that your spirit would work in their hearts until they would bow their knee before you and accept you as their Lord and Savior and that they could too be an overcomer. Lord, help us to hold on to this vision and to live lives that are uh, worthy and to, to be, that people would look at us and see you through us. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to do this. So we leave here today, Lord. I ask that you would be our portion, that you would watch over and protect us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand for a verse of song.